You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Some dramatic and fundamental changes in how the healthcare industry operates are on the horizon. We are just beginning to see how the industry will reorganize. What are 10 actions that practices should set out to accomplish by 2010 to be well positioned for the new reality? Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Peter Lukash. Peter has over 30 years of experience in healthcare and has authored two books on medical practice management, including the Medical Practice Business Plan Workbook. He is a blogger for allbusiness.com, writing about the business management of medical practices. Welcome to the show, Peter. Hi, nice to be here. Peter, what's so magical about 2010? It's, it's coming up pretty quick. Yes, it is, and that's one of the reasons why. We're probably going through in what is, I would call it, an inflection point. We are probably the most dynamic industry in the U.S. economy right now. There are very fundamental changes going on in the industry, how we're organized, how we operate, how we're paid, how we're all paid. So time is moving pretty fast. And I think what we're seeing now, we're seeing certain themes coalescing so that practices are in a position to make very good business decisions today to position themselves as things evolve. We kind of know where we're going now is you can set yourselves up while still leaving leeway and room to maneuver how things change. Let's try and cover the 10 items that we absolutely have to do. Why don't we start with what you think is the most important one? Probably the most important one, I think, is going to be installing an electronic health record system. As much as people don't like them or are reluctant to invest in them because of the dollars involved, this is becoming the focus of everybody is looking at as a fundamental piece in order to gain control of health care costs and get better value. And it's more than lowering costs. It's getting value for the $2.1 trillion spent in 2005, 2006 on health care costs. Now we have the ability to get some help in doing that as well. Right. Now the, the government has actually kind of allowed a little loophole in the stark regulations for hospitals to give the software free to their physicians. So we should see a, a mass adoption take place. We'll see some cautious adoption. There's a couple of quirks there. And before you sign anything, get some tax and accounting advice, or your tax advice, really, because there may be something, which I understand the IRS hasn't completely cleared up. The hospitals, particularly nonprofits, are in the clear. The stark is cleared, but there might be a quirky thing you better double-check before your own advisor before you move ahead on that. But pursue it. Absolutely pursue it. What's happening in South Carolina where you are? We're not seeing anything publicly announced now. There is some movement. There are a couple of companies in the area and a couple of places which have put things up, but this tends to be a conservative state, and things tend to move a little slowly. So we'll see how this evolves over time. So South Carolina is not the pioneer champion leader in this area. Let's talk about number two, the second action necessary. And number two, the most important area is to develop improved and more efficient back office and support systems. The idea here is that revenue is flat and perhaps even declining in many circumstances. Your costs are going to continue to rise because that's how things go in life. Wages go up, certain costs go up. So where you want to squeeze your costs is your back office, which is probably has inefficiencies in it. So you want to make that as efficient as possible in order to support the physician be doing what they do best and should be doing, which is seeing patients. You don't want them wasting time and being diverted by a back office and support staff who can't move fast enough because of other obstacles in the system. Much like a factory floor, that 
it's how everything flows along, which is a critical question. And a lot of times, just by taking another look or even getting somebody in from the outside to take another look can help you run things a little better for yourself and often for your patients as well. All right. How about, let's uh, assume uh, I've done one and two thus far in my practice. What's next? I happen to be a big fan of adopting technology. More importantly, even than electronic health records, I look at some other things. One is establishing a website, which can be done anywhere from literally as little as $30 a month. There's even a good scenario for free, which is offered by a subsidiary of the, of the AMA, up to thousands of dollars. But the point is to have basic information out there. People go to the web for everything, particularly when it comes to healthcare. They're hopping on the web. So the first thing someone's going to do is they want to know a little bit about you. They're going to Google somebody, and they'll do it in, immediately before they see a, a physician. So if they see a website that lends some credibility, it also lends some good information which you control, your biography, where you are, how to get there, hours, certain things like that. The next step beyond that is you can look at online patient registration, which helps the patient, which helps you. Right, speeds up the uh, front office. That's on the, in the front office. And again, this is a support area, gathering information in advance, getting some of those forms completed in advance. And thirdly, there is the possibility for email communication in a secure, HIPAA-compliant manner, which in some states, the, some of the insurance companies are paying for email consultations. They're not paying a lot. Sometimes I'm seeing $20, $30 for an email consult, but there may be circumstances where a patient wants a question or two answered but doesn't want to come in. You know, we have a couple of very specific questions but they don't need a whole to come in for a whole exam. They don't need 15 minutes. They probably need five minutes. I've had that situation personally, and you just can't do it. Email would be perfect, and there's a way to do it in a compliant manner without going to technicality. It's not expensive at all either. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. I'm talking today with Peter Lukash. Peter's a blogger for allbusiness.com, and we're talking today about... 10 actions that all practices should at least try to accomplish by 2010 to position themselves for the new reality in medicine. We're on number four. Peter, what's the fourth thing that we should be attempting to do? I would take a very close look at assessing your clinical care to ensure that it is current and accepted in best practices. Audit and monitor what's being done. The byword today is not cost, cost, cost. The byword is value, value, value. What employers and are looking for and are pushing hard for is they want to see value for the $2.1 trillion which is being spent in healthcare. And you've always got to remember that's the context behind all this regulatory action, all the employer pushbacks, everything coming to the insurance companies. The numbers are so big and it's got everybody's undivided attention. And the point here is that there is pretty good documentation that a lot of what's done on a day-to-day basis is either unnecessary, wasteful, or it's already been done. And what we're doing is getting more information, and it's not changing the clinical decision being made. And that's kind of the hard part. And some people would argue that this is a result of defensive medicine. Others would argue that we have these things, and we keep looking for better support for a decision when, in fact, some of these things, the tests and the work being done, don't make a difference in that decision-making. That said, take a look at what you're actually doing. If you're in a group practice, 
look to see what all of the physicians in the group are doing. Are you being pretty consistent in what you're doing from patient to patient among all the physicians in the group? That as, as a good check on each other, and that also lends a sense of continuity and uh, that this is really a group practice who practices similar kinds of medicine so that when you, people start asking questions, when audits are done and it's going to be happening, you can demonstrate, well, these are the outcomes. We know what our outcomes are. So that's the kinds of questions which are being asked and are going to be asked. On top of all this, we have a situation evolving where there is going to be actually cash on the table for doing some of these things. You can attack and question some of the methodologies being used for what's being done pay for performance, but it's coming. In one shape, manner, or form, it's coming, and it's going to be everywhere within the next three years. Super. Can't wait for that. Peter, we're, we're, we're running out of time. we got five more topics to cover, so let's, let's hit five, six, seven real quick. Okay, number five, promote wellness and prevention. Six, bring in nurse practitioners and physician's assistants. Key point there is to be as productive as possible. There's a lot of things many physicians do which don't need the physician. And patients like nurse practitioners and physician's assistants. They're very comfortable with them, nine times out of ten. So it helps you. It helps your patients. It's lower cost. Everybody's happy. And number seven is year-round training. The more your staff knows, and I'm talking about medical assistants, your front office, your receptionist, everybody, the more they know, the more they can help you, the more they can relate to patients. Patients talk to a lot of the staff. They may not tell you something, so you want your staff to be alert of to what's happening and what patients are saying to you so they can help you as well as help interpret what you've just told them and reinforce it. See, wellness and prevention, I, I'm a big fan of that, and I do that for a number of reasons. It's excellent clinical care. It promotes better outcomes. Patients are very like it and are used to this kind of concept, and insurers are beginning to pay for it on a broader basis. All right, we're up to number eight. Improve patient interview techniques. How the efficiency and effectiveness of the patient interview. This is one of those things which is beginning to get attention in the literature over the last several years, particularly in the last two or three years. There have been a couple of studies, and there's one coming out of a big HMO in California. Uh, I personally have been working on trying to get something tangible out of them. Right now, they seem to be using it principally in-house. The idea being is that there are patients often complain that physicians don't listen to them. There was a study asserting that physicians would interrupt the patient something like 20 seconds into the patient telling their story, and they're already beginning to make clinical decisions and uh, judgments of what the, prob- the patient's problem is within seconds after seeing them. We need to study this and arm the physician with better tools. Time is immensely valuable, so they want to have the maximum effectiveness of the time they have, which helps everybody. This is it's a very unique kind of skill, particularly when time is of, of the essence and time is short. So there's a lot of interesting literature coming out, which could be very helpful down the road. Number nine is to add related services that increase revenue. It could be some basic clinical lab services, certain testing. Yes, I know there's maybe in some ways there's too much testing. On the other hand, there may be things which make very viable sense from you clinically as well as from a revenue perspective. And lastly, number 10 is to build relationships with practices, employers, government, and payers. You want to be positioned as a leader of quality and effective medical care. You want to be the leader in the community, the one people go to. This is one from a marketing perspective to attract patients. Two, you want to have influence in decisions being made. 
and three, you want to be viewed as a practice where insurers and employers will contract so that the patients and their, their employees or beneficiaries will continue to come to you. Well, number 10 sounds extremely important, and it's something I would love to do. I, I mean, who wouldn't want their practice to be the leader in quality care? You use the words, position your practice. So it seems vague to me. How do I position my practice to do that? Some of the ways to do that is some of the things we've talked about, the auditing, looking at uh, the kinds of care you do, measuring your quality, Second of all is to be out there talking to people, that you create an impression of quality, that is how you behave and how you treat people and that you, how you relate to other physicians as well. Do you send reports if you're a specialist? Or are you sending reports to your referring physicians? Peter Lukash, thank you very much for coming on the show. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and you have been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.